The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Well, it's so good to see you guys this weekend, and in my continued effort to not be politically correct, and henceforth save Christmas, I want to wish you a Merry Christmas. So Merry Christmas to you. I also want to tell you, baby, it really is cold outside, okay? And I believe that Rudolph ended up being a better reindeer because he didn't get to play in those reindeer games. So I'm just saying, I think we're going to save Christmas. I think we're going to be okay, but the world's going crazy. I'm so glad you guys are here because we're in the fourth week of our series on the 23rd Psalm. This weekend, we're going to pick up where we left off last time as we continue to compare our lives to the life of a sheep. And I really do believe that these comparisons will get the wool off of our eyes. That's it. That's funny right there. Left. Get the wool off of our eyes so we can begin to experience the life that God has planned for us. By the way, a couple of people have asked me, where did you, are you, like, are you like a sheep whisperer or something? Where did you get all this sheep knowledge? And actually some of it went back to seminary, I mean seminary, and uh, it was something I, I was involved in there. But then uh, a few trips ago when I was in Israel, I met this guy, his name is Amir, and he's actually a Bedouin shepherd. And uh, we spent quite a bit of time talking about the similarities between people and sheep and how it's not a coincidence that God used this analogy in his word. And so in fact, this weekend, I wanna talk about what are some of the similarities between people and sheep. And I wanna give you three and I'm gonna give you the first one, kind of a simple message this weekend and then we'll unpack it. But this is the first one. You need to know that sheep are directionally challenged. Uh, I, I've said this before as, uh, in this series, uh, left to themselves, sheep are gonna get in trouble every time. They're gonna get lost every time. They're directionally challenged. Now I'll be the first one to tell you, I am directionally challenged. Uh, in fact, I was reminded of that this week. Laura and I went up to New York for a couple of days. We're celebrating our 40th anniversary, which is really not to the 23rd of this month, but it kind of gets consumed uh, by Christmas Eve services. And so we went up this week, and one of the things that Laura wanted to do was she wanted to go to Macy's on 34th, right, where they had the big Thanksgiving Day parade. It is the biggest store I have ever seen in my life. It is so big, it has a floor one and a half. I mean, you're a big store when you have to squeeze in a floor between the first floor and the second floor, right? Floor one and a half. In fact, I got on an escalator on 34th Street in the men's department, and when I got off, I was in women's coats in New Jersey. That's how big, that's how big that store is, right? And so, you know, we're there, and I'm, you know, we're kind of blown away by how big it is. And, uh, man, I got to go to the men's room, right? But see, in Macy's in New York, you got to be committed because you may never see your family or loved ones again. You could get lost, never see them again. So I came up with kind of a Hansel and Gretel plan. This is how I'm thinking. Without a doubt, I would find Laura again. I leave her in women's shoe department, right? And I'm thinking, if I get lost, I can ask any woman in Macy's, 
where is the women's shoe department? Because see, women are like homing pigeons, okay, when it comes to finding shoes. So I'm thinking, any lady can get me back to the shoe department. I didn't realize there were like 17 shoe departments in that Macy's store. So I go off on Monday, I leave for my journey to the restroom. Finally on Wednesday, okay, I find Laura back in the shoe department where I left her, and you would have thought, she said, wow, you've been gone a long time, are you okay, are you hurt, what happened? All she said was this, what do you think about these, right? But that's just how, that's just how ladies are, right? But I am directionally challenged, sheep are directionally challenged. A sheep needs constant care, constant guidance, constant supervision. In fact, there is no other class of livestock that needs the guidance, that needs the protection like sheep. And I thought, wow, in the same way, left to ourselves, we are as directionally challenged as sheep. We saw this a couple of weeks ago in our series. What did we talk about? Isaiah 53, verse six. He said, all of us, just like sheep, just like sheep, we've all gone astray. We all get lost. And I really believe that when David sat down and he began to write this psalm, this is why he wrote, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. And then you get to Psalm 23, verse three, and he writes, he guides me along the right paths for his namesake. If you have a New American Standard this weekend, it says, he guides me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Now, why is it so important that, that he guides us, he, he leads us in the paths of righteousness? Why can't we just get there on our own? Well, if you go to the book of Romans, which is a letter that Paul wrote to the church of Rome that eventually made its way into our Bible, Romans chapter three, verse 10, Paul addresses this. He says, there's no one righteous, not even one. And when Paul says that, it's almost as if he just like drops the pen and walks right. There's nobody righteous, not even one. In other words, he says when it comes to righteousness, human beings, we don't have a clue what righteousness even begins to look like. We wouldn't recognize righteousness if it smacked us across the face. Because the only one that's righteous, the only one that is perfect is God. A couple of Psalms bear this out. Psalms chapter 7 verse 11 says, God is a righteous judge. Psalm 11 verse 7, for the Lord is righteous, he loves Justice. Do you know what that means? That means that God's decrees are righteous. His judgments are righteous. His laws are righteous. His requirements for us are righteous. In fact, Daniel summed it up in Daniel 9, 14. The Lord our God is righteous in everything he does. Now, what are the implications of the fact that we serve and we follow a righteous God? It basically means this. He's never been wrong. He's never made a mistake. He's never had the wrong attitude. He's never said the wrong thing. He's never acted the wrong way. He's never been too late. He's never been too early. He's never taken the wrong path. It's kind of like that song that we sing from time to time. He's a good, good father. He's a good, good father. And one of the songs, one of the lines, I just love it when we get to it, because he's perfect in all of his ways. He's perfect in all of his ways. He's perfect in all of his ways to us. Now, why is this so significant? As the good shepherd as God leads us in these paths of righteousness. Why is this so significant? Well, Solomon wrote Proverbs, and in Proverbs, this is what he says in chapter 14, verse 12. There is a way, and to keep in the analogy with the sheep, let's say there is a path that appears to be right. In other words, from a human perspective, we would say, well, yeah, that's the right path. That's the smart path. That's the wise path. That's the logical path. That's the common sense path. See, from our perspective, from our knowledge, from our input, we think that's the way we ought to go. There is a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. But I think David wanted us to understand that when we follow the good shepherd, we can rest assured of the fact that he is leading us up the right path, which means this, if you really want to experience God's best in your life, you are going to have to follow him. 
Because if you get on the wrong path, if you get sidetracked, even if from your perspective, it seems like it's the right path, it may lead to death. It may lead to destruction. So how do we stay on the right path? Let me give you a couple of quick suggestions. First of all, we have to, submit, we have to admit and submit. In other words, we have to admit that when it comes to spiritual things, we are directionally challenged. We could not find our own way on the path of righteousness if we tried. And then we have to submit to following the good shepherd. In other words, we have to get to the point in our lives where we finally agree that we're gonna let him call the shots. Now I'm gonna be honest with you. This is where a lot of people apply the brakes. And this is why a lot of people never discover God's will, God's plan for their life because they get off the path. Because see, here's the thing. We, there's a tendency in all of us, we, we wanna go astray. We wanna do our own thing. There's just something about the way we're wired. We don't wanna give up control of our lives. Yeah, we say we follow God, but then inside we kind of have our own plan for our life. We have our own agenda. So we kind of like want the God life. So we want the God life with all the blessings and all the perks that come along with the God life, right? But then yet we really want them on our terms. So when many of us, when we follow God, it's kind of like this. We have one eye on God and then we have the other eye on things that are important to us. Like we have one eye on God and we have one eye on our finances the way we want them to be in case we don't agree with God about how he wants us to handle our finances. And we have one eye on God, but then we have one eye on our education or one eye on our career or one eye on our relationship just in case it's not squaring up with what God wants us to do. But this is what I've learned the hard way. If you have one eye on the good shepherd and then you're lost focus and you've got the other eye on something else, you are gonna miss God's best. You are gonna miss God's plan for your life. So first of all, we have to admit and then submit, and then we have to obey and pray. And I will tell you without a doubt, the number one question I get asked is this. Mike, how can I know God's plan for my life? How can I know God's will for my life? Because we have this idea that we're on like this continued search, like God's playing some kind of game, a cosmic game of hide and seek. How do we find it? How do we know that we're in the sweet spot of God's will? Did you know that 90% of God's will for your life, 90% of God's plan for your life, has already been written down in the Bible. It's right here. It's our guidebook for life. Here's our challenge. It's obeying what's been written down. It's obeying what we've already been given. For example, I'll give you a simple example. The Bible says that children are to honor and obey their parents. Don't you wish you'd have made your teenagers come to church this weekend now? The children are to, and I don't see any stipulation that when you get to a certain age, I'm 62, that I no longer have to honor and obey my parents who are now 90 and 87. It just says we're to honor and obey our parents. That is God's will. So let me say this. If you're not honoring, if you're not obeying your parents, guess what? You're out of God's will. You are not following God's plan for your life. You're not walking the path that, he, that, he's, that he's lined up for you. So what makes you think that God is gonna reveal to you the next step of his agenda for you if you're not doing what he's already told you to do? I promise you this, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. You've got to obey what you already know is true. Maybe you're here this weekend and you are a Christian. You've crossed the line. You've accepted the free gift of salvation. You've responded to the gospel. You've been reconciled back into a relationship with God. But maybe you're in a relationship with someone who's not a believer. In fact, you may be considering marrying someone who's not a Christian. And there's this stress in the relationship. And there's this tension in the relationship. Now, let me just tell you something. If that's the case... There's no use for you to pray about that relationship. There's no use for you to go get counseling about how you can fix this relationship. 
There's no use for you to get an appointment to come see me so that I can bless your relationship. I'm gonna tell you right now, the relationship is not in God's plan for your life. This is what Paul says, 2 Corinthians 6, 14, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. And I think it's more than just marriage. I think it comes to business partners and all kinds of things. And by the way, you hear a verse like that, that, wow, God, he is really a bigot, right? No, that's not true. God's not a bigot. He doesn't discriminate. John 3, 16, God loves what? The world. He loves the whole world. That's not the issue. He does have absolutes. And he does have some boundaries. And understand, God has absolutes and boundaries because, see, God wants what is best for his sheep. And that simply means this, if you really are a Christian, if you really are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you really are a part of the flock, to use our analogy, you're just gonna have a different value system than someone who's not. If you are a believer, you're gonna have a different value system than someone who's not a believer. So naturally, there's gonna be tension in your relationship. Amos 3.3 says, man, how can two people walk together unless they are agreed? You ever try to take a walk with someone but you can't decide where you're gonna go and how you're gonna get there, you can't do it, you, it's impossible. It's just common sense. And so if you can't agree on the basics of life, if you can't, be on, you can't agree on how you're gonna handle your finances, I'll tell you this, if you're a child of God, God's called you to a different standard how you handle your financially finances than if you're not. If you can't decide on how you're gonna parent your child, What's gonna be important? Are you gonna be involved in church? What's a spiritual life going to look like? Let me, if you can't agree on the basics, you are in for a tough, stressful marriage. And I can promise you this, you are not going to experience God's path that he's planned out for you in your life. My point is this, at some point, following, as we talked about before in this series, it simply means obeying. You gotta obey. So the good shepherd says, here's my will, Here's my path, here's my plan, here's my agenda for you. You've got to admit and submit. You've got to obey and pray. Let me share with you, by the way, for this what I, what I call the path principle. It's very, very simple, but it helps me. Four things that you need to think about as you stay on the path with the good shepherd. P stands for persevere, persevere. Paul wrote this in Romans chapter 15, verse four. He says, for whatever was written in earlier times, and that's a reference to the Old Testament, was written for our instruction so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Now this idea of persevering as we stay on the path, why is it so important? Well, I can promise you this. When God takes you on the journey that he's described for your life and he's planned out for your life, you're gonna go through some tough times. Yeah, you're gonna have some mountaintop experiences, but as you're gonna see, you are going to experience some valleys. Now just because you're going through a tough time doesn't mean that you're not exactly where God wants you to be. But see, as Christians, especially Christians today, we don't think that that fits into our plan of what we think the journey with Christ should be. That it's like, a, you know, it's, it's a bed of roses all the time and it's rainbows and sunshine and puppy dogs, right? And, God, and it's, not, it's not true. We talked about this before. Jesus says, no, what you're gonna experience is suffering and tribulation and persecution. Heaven, what you really want, comes later, right? And so often when we are walking the path, following the good shepherd and the tough times come, we thought, well, this can't be right, so what do we do? We go to plan B. We bail out of what God is trying to teach us along that journey. And when we bail out, we miss our moment. We miss that lesson. People come to me all the time and say, why is it I keep going through the same thing? And I'm like, because you haven't learned it yet. And maybe the reason you haven't learned it yet is because you haven't learned to persevere and say, God, I don't know why you're taking me here and I don't even know why this is so painful right now. But I trust you that by persevering, you're gonna help me break through 
and bust through the obstacle so I could stay right on the path with you. So you gotta persevere. A stands for attitude. Philippians 2.5, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Well, what kind of attitude did Jesus have? Was it self-centered? Was it me-driven when Jesus came to this earth? Was he kind of out there doing his own thing, you know, just following his own agenda? Of course not, right? In fact, Paul goes on and tells us in Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. In other words, he submitted being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. In other words, when Jesus came to this earth, Jesus who was fully God, he set aside his agenda for the sake of the Father's agenda. He said several times, I have come, everything the Father told me to do, that's what I've been doing. I don't do anything unless the Father tells me to do it. So he submitted to the Father. He put his, and I've said submission really means this, I put my mission below your mission. I put my mission below. So when Jesus came, he put his mission below the Father's mission. He was other-centered. It was service-driven. It was about generosity. It was about you first. Let me tell you this. If you're going to stay on the path, you're going to have to put your mission and your agenda under the mission of where God is taking you. So that's very important. Attitude, T stands for trust. Proverbs 3, 5 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on, on your own understanding. And again, I cannot even begin to tell you all the times that I've gotten myself into situations where I leaned on my own understanding and I've screwed up big time, messed up big time, got so far off the path in the deep weeds. I mean, you ever done that? And there's a question we always ask ourselves when we find ourselves there, and this is what it is. How did I ever end up here? How did I ever end up here? I'll tell you how you ended up there. You leaned into your own understanding. See, you trusted on your, your own judgment. You trusted in your own wisdom. But the verse goes on to say, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him, and he will make your past what? He will make your past what? He will make your past straight. So the good shepherd promises that he's going to create some straight paths for me. If, if I persevere, if I have the right attitude, if I trust, and then H is the payoff. H is higher ground. See, the good shepherd's gonna lead us to the higher ground. But for us to get there, we're gonna have to follow because I'm telling you, sheep are directionally challenged. And that brings us to the next comparison to sheep. Sheep are extremely dependent. They're extremely dependent, and so are we. Psalm 23, verse four. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. Now, this is a passage that we normally hear if we go to a funeral, Right? And we use them at funerals because it's a verse to comfort people that are passing through that dark valley of death. And we use it because it reminds those who are grieving, those who are mourning, those who have had such a great loss, that death isn't really the end. It's really the door to a more intimate existence with God. But I think we shortchange this verse when we only use it at funerals. I think this verse means so much more than just that. For example, if you were a shepherd in Palestine, uh, you would lead your sheep to, to the mountain, up to the higher elevations during the summer. One reason is it was cooler. Another reason it was just better grazing. But see, any shepherd knew that you can't, you can't get to the, the, the mountaintop. You can't enjoy the mountaintop experiences unless you're going to go through some valleys. You're going to have to go through some valleys. A while back, uh, I was going through a valley. And... Uh, it's, sometimes I think they're physically induced. You just get exhausted. Sometimes I, f I think you feel like as a pastor, you just stand over your head. You don't know what to do. Like, I don't know how I got here. In fact, one time, 
the best advice somebody gave me one time, I was really struggling because I'm like, I don't know how to lead this thing. I never planned for, to be a pastor of a big church. I don't know how to lead this. And someone sat in my office and says, you know what your problem is? I said, no. I said, you thought you knew what you were doing to get it to this point. I'm like, dang it, you're right. I didn't know what I was doing to get here either, right? But I was going through one of those times. I was having one of, my, one of my Elijah moments. One of the things I love when I go to Israel is when I get to stand on Mount Carmel and I get to think about the prophet Elijah because just, just right after he slew all the prophets of Baal, what did he do? He went and hid in the cave because he was discouraged. He was afraid. He was depressed. And I was, I was just in one of those, those cave moments. And you know what? I could not get out of it. And you know what I realized? I realized how cliche my answers and responses are. When you come to my office in one of those funks, oh, you just got to trust the Lord. You just... I go to Gary Vett's office and I just sit down and shut the door and I, I just opened up. I said, this is what's going on. And I can't get out of it. No matter what I try, I can't get out of it. When I come in on Saturdays, I usually come in like 10 or 11 in the morning and, and work on my message some and and, uh, and then I can usually hear the music start up around two or three. I can hear the boom, boom, boom up in my office. And I was kind of tired of studying. And be honest with you, I didn't really even want to preach that weekend. But I had to do it. You know, it was like, Laura said, you got to go do it. And so uh, I came down and the auditorium was dark and the screens, you know, they had the screens up and the band had some lights on them and they were singing. And this is the, these are the words that were on the screen. I sat right behind the soundboard where I sit when I come on the weekends. And I just looked up, and these were the words. What a powerful name it is. What a powerful name it is. What a powerful name it is, the name of Jesus. But it was the next line. Next line, what a powerful name it is. Nothing can stand against. And I'm telling you, the dam just broke. And the tears just started pouring down my face. And I thought, first of all, I thought, man, I am glad it's dark and nobody can see this. That was my first thought. This is what I thought. I said, God, you're so gracious. I mean, God, you must be sick of me right now. I have walked with you since the age of five. I have seen you be faithful time and time again. You've delivered me from all kinds of horrendous situations. And yet all you've heard from me lately is complaining and questioning and whining. And here I am in this valley, and yeah, I don't like it. It's dark, it's cold, it's lonely. But you're still taking care of me as I'm walking through the valley. Hey, let me give you some good news. You're gonna go through valleys, but God never intended for you to stay there. It says that when we go through the darkest valley, do you know what that implies? It implies that you're gonna merge out the other side. So find comfort in this. I don't know what valley you're going through this weekend. If you're not in one, you'll be in one soon. Here's the good news. If you're following the good shepherd, if, there's the contingency, you're gonna emerge out the other side. Now here's the third similarity to sheep, and this one will be kind of direct. Uh, sheep are extremely dirty, and so are we. I'm telling you, if you've ever been around sheep, they stink. You, you smell them way before you see them, right? I mean, they just roll around in mud and manure all day, and they get all nasty and stinky. In fact, a sheep would probably die of filth and disease if the shepherd wasn't taking care of them. And you know what? Again, it's so true in our lives. We, we get dirty just doing life. We get all nasty. We get stained with all this sin. But here's the good news. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18 says this. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. 
Though they be red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Do you know what that means? It means that no matter how dirty your life may be, no matter how stained your life may be, there's no dirt, there's no stain in your life that God can't remove. Doesn't matter what you've been involved in, doesn't matter what you've done, he will take all of that sin, he will forgive it. And Isaiah 1.18 says, hey, he'll polish you up, he'll make you white as snow. I love the story of the prodigal, that rebellious kid that went to his dad and said, give me my share of the inheritance, right? You know, one thing amazes me, the dad didn't try to talk him out of it. You ever notice that? You think I would have just given that? I mean, I, I would have said, we need to talk, son. You know, how about if I give you 10%? I mean, I, I would what are you going to do with it? I mean, I need receipts, you know. I would, but gave it to him, right? Like, if that's what you want to do, that's what, and of course, you know the story. He went out and squandered his money on wine, women, and song, had the time of his life until he went to the ATM and the card, it sucked it in, right? I'm old enough to remember and poor enough to remember when it, hey, give it back. No, it's gone. No, you, you can't get anymore because you're trying to get money you don't have anymore, right? So what's he end up doing? Sitting in a pig pen. How embarrassing is that for a Jewish young man? I mean, does it get any lower than that? And this is how I imagine it, leaning up against the fixed post, waiting for the pigs to finish eating so he maybe can get some leftovers. And this is what it says. He came to his senses. You know what he thought? This is stupid. I have a father who loves me unconditionally, who accepts me unconditionally. I can either stay here in this pig pen, or I can get up and I can go home to my father, who I am confident will accept me, love me, and restore me. And that's exactly what he did. And I'm telling you, the same thing can happen to you. The same thing can happen to you, but see, just like this young man, you gotta come to your senses. And you gotta be honest enough to say, man, I am extremely dirty. I am so stained with my bad behavior and my sin, and I can't pay for it. I don't know how to get back on God's good side. I don't know what to do, right? I was in Walgreens a, uh, a few weeks ago. By the way, have you noticed how as you get older, you spend more time in Walgreens? <laughs> have you noticed that? I used to never go to Walgreens for anything. I'm in Walgreens like every other hour, it seems like, you know? And then the, the vitamins they give us at our age, sundowner, like take it and die, you're dying, the sun's going down on you. I mean, what kind of stuff is that, right? But anyway, I'm in Walgreens, and I'm the third person in line. There's a little kid, and he's young enough, I was pretty sure his mom and dad had to be in the store somewhere. He couldn't have been there on his own. And then there was a lady, and it was me. So, you know, I'm waiting, and this little boy comes up, and he had probably earned some money, maybe it was his allowance, but he puts, he puts something on the counter, and he reached in his pocket, and he pulled out like, I don't know, $2 bills and some change and just put it down. And this cashier, she's like 16, 17, just, you can see it on her face. Like she's thinking, I know he doesn't have enough money to pay for this. But she starts counting with a smile on her face, like $1, $2, you know. And then the lady in front of me says, hey, you know what? Why don't you take what he has and just ring it up and put it on mine and I'll take care of it. And the little boy got his thing in a bag, took off, right? Went and find mom and dad. And I sat there and I watched that and I thought, man, how many times in our life do we come before our Heavenly Father with our sin and our mess and we're gonna give him our change, right? Like we think we can somehow get back on his good side. We're like, hey God, you probably didn't know this. I grew up at the First Baptist Church and I went to Sunday school. That ought to do it right there, right? I went through confirmation 
You know, I went through catechism. I don't even know what that is, but it doesn't sound good. It sounds a lot like catacombs, and that's where dead people live. So I, that's what I think of, right? Or I was baptized Episcopal. That's not even really a church church anymore anyway. But I was baptized Lutheran, okay? I, God, here you go. That, that'll, that'll cover it, right? right? I mean, we're honest. I mean, we would be the first one to admit that, hey, I'm no Billy Graham. You know, I'm no Mother Teresa, but you know what? I'm pretty sure I'm not as bad as most people. Isn't that the way we think? I mean, look at him. He's a lot worse than I am, right? So we, we kind of think we're going to get through life doing our best. and We feel good about the fact you look around, well, I'm at least average, you know. And as long as God grades on the curve and he accepts the A, B, and C people and he only rejects the D and F people, I'm probably going to be okay, right? But we think we're going to impress God. Look, I'm getting it done, God. I'm getting it done. Give him our change. And I grew up in a Baptist church. And so my vision of God was just one of bully. I will knock you upside the head, you know, and. But I think when we bring our change to God, we try to buy our way back into reconciliation with God. You know what I think he does now? I think he smiles at us. And I think he says, you're so cute. Look at you. Trying to impress me with your Sunday school ribbons. Your baptism, you're so cute. But then I think he says, put your money away. I've already paid for this. I already gave you my son. He's my most valuable possession. And he shed his blood and paid for your sins. And three days later, he rose from the dead just to make sure you knew he was the one who could take away the sins of the world. See, that's the story of Christmas right there, by the way. We all wrapped up with baby Jesus. You know, Jesus never told us to remember his birth. I mean, you ought to see my house. You can see it from space, Right? <laughs> Jesus never said do that. He said, hey, when he gave him the bread and the cup, what did he say? Well, now, as often as you do this, remember me. But we get all excited about it. That's, 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 the manger, it was necessary. But the story of Christmas ends 33 years later when the purpose was complete and he died on the cross, right? See, you know, one of my favorite songs is White Christmas. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. Let me tell you something. You could experience a white Christmas spiritually this year. But you just got to come to the place where you're willing to say, you know what, Jesus, I, I, you know what? I've been trying to impress you with all my good stuff, trying to work my way back in. So I'm going to trade all that. I'm going I'm to take the trust off of what I'm doing, and I'm going to put it on what you've done for me, and I'm going to accept what you did for me on the cross to pay for my sins. And I'm, I'm asking you to take control of my life. I submit to you. I want to obey you. I want to do what you want me to do. I surrender. And he says, okay, let me clean you up. Let me forgive you. Let's start moving. Let me tell you something. God has an incredible plan for every person that's here this weekend. That includes you. I'm telling you, it would blow our minds if we could see the plan that God had for us. Remember what Jeremiah said? Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. You know why we don't experience that? because we don't stay close enough to follow him. We all feel on this path, we're off on this path, and we miss it, we totally miss God's plan for us. But God has an incredible plan for your life, and I'll just say, the sooner you submit and start to follow him, the less time from here on, on out you're gonna spend wondering and searching and frustrated, the more time you'll actually spend living the life that you've always wanted. But to get there, 
at some point you got to come to your senses. At some point you got to say, what I've got in my pocket and what I've done isn't going to get it done. And I realize I need saving. I need saving. I can't even save myself from the day-to-day mundane issues of life. What makes me think I can save myself for all eternity? I need saving. And when you get to the point where you realize I need saving, here's the good news. You have a Savior. He's Jesus Christ the Lord. I'm telling you, it will change your life. It will change everything. It will change your eternal destiny. But at some point, you got to come to your senses. Let's bow together. I'm not going to try to manipulate you, twist your arm or anything. I'm just saying, at some point, you got to decide. You got to decide. And I'll be honest with you. If you're like, that's not for me, I wouldn't even waste my time coming to church. I'd go find something else to do. I mean, why would you want to go through the motions and at the end not have the real deal? What a waste. What a waste. But it's so simple and it's so available. And it's for everyone. God's not willing for any to perish, but for everyone, everyone, everyone to come to repentance. Father, I pray right now for people who have just been uh, holding out. And sometimes it's just pride. Sometimes it's just pride. Sometimes it's like, I'm not giving up control of my life to anyone. Maybe this will be the weekend they come to their senses. Maybe this will be the weekend they realize I'm lost and I need saving. And I'm gonna transfer my trust from who I am and what I do to who God is and what he's already done for me through his son, Jesus Christ. You tell us in Romans chapter 10 that if we believe in our hearts, if we profess with our mouths, we'll be saved. I pray for those who need to make that decision this weekend. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's message. We are so excited to be a small part of all the great things that God is doing in and through your life. If you would like to take the next step in your spiritual journey, download the Hope app to find ways to connect, opportunities to serve, and other resources. And if you'd like to contribute financially to our vision of reaching the triangle and changing the world, visit us at gethope.net slash giving. Thank you for your commitment to resourcing hope as we love people where they are and encourage them to grow in their relationship with Jesus.